some things that I have to say today that I believe are, are very imperative for us to continue to, to progress and move forward as God has called us to. Believe it or not, in a time of challenge and in a time of trial, God wants his people to advance. Although this is a time where individuals find themselves stuck and individuals find themselves taking three and four steps back. This is the time where the kingdom, those who are tapped into the kingdom of God, God has a plan to advance us. Amen. Somebody say advancement. Amen. And, and, and so we, we, we must understand um, that there's a higher way. There's a higher way. Even though it seems like what's happening around us, there's ways being shut off. But Isaiah 35 and 8 talks about the highway of holiness. There is a way that is higher. There's a way that seems right to man, but there's a way that is higher. Amen. Um, highways are for moving. Amen. Highways are for transitioning. Holiness is a means for which God transitions us into the things that he has for our lives. And that's why this consecration is so imperative, because we, we're getting on the highway. I just need you to look at somebody and tell them we're getting on the highway. We, we, we're getting on the highway. We're, we're, we're positioning ourselves to transition. And, and whatever it is that's coming against us is lower than the highway. Amen. It doesn't matter what's going on beneath the highway. The beauty in the highway is the street can be packed underneath that highway, but that highway is over the street. So it doesn't matter if the street now has a traffic jam. If I'm on the highway, I can still keep moving. Amen. And this is a time where God has given us grace to move. And so, so I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Inside of that is identity. Holiness is a character. It, is, it embodies who God is. Holiness is not something God has. It's who God is. Be ye holy for what? I am holy. The angels sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen. And so holiness is not something he has, but holiness is something that the Lord is. Amen. And so identity is important. Amen. I believe that our identity and, and not knowing who we are is more detrimental than the attack of the devil. I think not knowing who we are is more detrimental to what God wants to do through us than what the devil can ever do. Because the Bible says that he'll give us keys to the kingdom. And whatsoever you bind in earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose in earth shall be loosed in heaven. Behold, I have the keys to death and hell. I believe the keys to the kingdom, one of those keys is a key to, to, uh, of death and hell, to shut down hell and to shut down death. And on this rock, I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's so important that in this time that we are in right now, that we understand who we are. Because if we don't, the devil will use it against us. Amen. He can only attack us when we come into agreement with him concerning who we are. Please hear me and hear me well. The first trick is his only trick. What was the first trick? The first trick was if you eat of this fruit, you shall be like God. Well, the problem was they were already made in God's image and in his likeness. So in them, what he did was offer them something that caused them to deny who they already were. He offered them being like God and they were made in his image and likeness. So they denied who they were to try to become something they were before they even reached for the fruit. 
And he does nothing new. He always comes at the foundation called character, the foundation called identity. Amen. That's where the devil always attacks us. And his attack only works to the degree we don't know who we are. Temptation only works to the degree we don't know who we are. Discouragement only works to the degree we don't know who we are. And so we have Peter and we have the situation in the gospel of Matthew chapter number 16, where where now Peter gets a revelation of of who Christ is because Christ asked this question to his disciples. And this is a little bit of review from from our last time I, I dealt with this. He asked them, who do men say that I am? They just came out of Caesarea Philippi. Who do men say that I am? And all of them come up with all these observations that repeated what other people said. But Peter looks Jesus in the eye and says, thou art the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus looks back at Peter and says, okay, since you got a revelation of who I am. Well, he looks back at Simon. Let me get it right. Since you got a revelation of who I am, I'm going to tell you who you are. I know you've been going by Simon, but in actuality, your name is Peter. And on this rock, I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter would have never, Simon would have never known he was Peter unless he first knew that Jesus was the son of God. So in order for Simon to know who he was, he had to get a revelation of who Jesus was. That's where I want to park. That's where I want to sit. And that's where I want to move right now because it's about identity. God now says on knowing who I call you, I'll build my church. Who's the church? Me and you. And the gates of hell, what? Shall not prevail against it. Now, I want to take you somewhere, and we're going to deal with identity, and it ties into holiness. Now, let, let me say this up front. I'm, not, I'm going to do this a little bit different. We're not going to do a scripture up front. We'll, we'll work scriptures as we go through it. So I, I want to make this point, and I want to walk this out, and I want to repeat some things that I've already said. Knowing Jesus was the means Simon needed to know himself. Get that. If you don't get nothing else, I share with you. Knowing Jesus was the means Simon needed to know himself. Simon only knew that he was Peter after he knew that Jesus was the Christ. Y'all following what I'm saying? What's the principle in that that we need to understand? Only to the measure we know Jesus are we permitted to know ourselves. Did y'all hear what I just said? Only to the measure we know Jesus are we permitted to know ourselves. What I'm trying to say to you, beloved, is how much we know us is a direct reflection of how much we know God. I'm going to say that again. How much we know us is a direct reflection of how much we know God. To the degree we don't know who we are, we don't know who he is. Did y'all hear what I just said? So when you don't know God, guess what? You don't know you. Amen. He's the only one who can tell us who we are. Otherwise, we'll go through life calling ourselves something that really ain't who we are. Simon went his whole life calling himself Simon. And he gets one revelation of Jesus. And Jesus says, really, your name is Peter. He would have went the rest of his life calling himself something God didn't call him unless he could recognize you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Amen. So when you don't know God, you don't know you. That's why knowing God is so important. And then a lot of people, they'll they'll. 
kind of say, well, how can you say that? If you don't know God, you don't know you. Because we were made in his image, come on, and his likeness. So I can't disconnect how I view me from how I view him. If me and you were made to bear his image and likeness, I cannot, I'm going to say that again, disconnect how I see me to how I see him. If I say I'm everything and he's nothing, he's everything and I'm nothing, I don't know God. Because if I say I'm nothing, I'm saying he's nothing because I reflect him. If I say I'm a wretch and he is the one, the only one clean, I'm act, I really don't know God because I'm a reflection of him. If I say I'm dirty, I'm I'm saying God is dirty because me and you were made in God's what? We can't get around that. So there's no way you can know you and say that about you. I'll say it this way. There's no way you can know God and say that about you. Everybody following what I'm saying? Amen. Now let me take you a step further. Glory be to God. This seems like this is going to be a good teaching atmosphere. I ain't going to bust a sweat. Hallelujah. Amen. This seems like this is going to be a sobering one. I want to to go to John chapter 17, verse number three in the New King James Version. Let's go there. John chapter 17, verse number three in the New King James Version. Hallelujah. This is one of the the, um, earmark scriptures. This is a scripture that not only do you need to know where it is, you need to know what it says and you need to be able to point people to. It sums up one of the major uh, pillars of the kingdom, what eternal life is. A lot of people got a lot of ideas about eternal life, but this is one of the pivotal scriptures that you want to make sure you keep and you point people to. John chapter 17, verse number three in the New King James Version. It says it this way, and this, this is Jesus speaking. It's referred to as his high priestly prayer by now historians and theologians, and this is eternal life, amen, that they may what? Know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true and living God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God is access to life. Come on. I need somebody to say knowing God is access to life. We are to know God so we can know us. Come on, it's access to life. By way of knowing him, we get our life back or we get access to life. And this is eternal life that they might know you. Glory be to God. So we are to know the God who is good all the time. But not just so we can walk around and say he's good all the time. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. No, I am to know the God that's good all the time. So guess what? I can be good all the time. It doesn't matter if it's raining. I'm good. It doesn't matter if it's storming. I'm good. It doesn't matter in the valley. I'm good because I know the God that's good all the time. Our problem is we detach our identity from the God that's good. If he's good all the time why am I not good right now I have detached 
detached who I am from who he is and therefore if I'm not good to the measure I'm not good all the time I don't sufficiently know the God who is always good because he doesn't want me running around saying that that's not good news to say God is good all the time and all the time God is good and I feel bad God is good all the time and all the time God is good and I feel like quitting God is good all the that is not the gospel that gospel must be come a part of my personal experience if it is indeed to be good news I don't I know he's good all the time but that ain't good news because I feel horrible I feel like quitting I feel like throwing in the towel why don't I always feel good if he's good all the time because I don't sufficiently know the God that's good all the time and all the time he's good so there's times I'm not good Everybody follow what I'm saying? Was that clear? So our condition is a direct reflection of how much we know him. Who we are is a direct reflection of how much we know who he is. And this is eternal life. That they may know you. So knowing God is access to life. We are to know God so we can know us. I had to say that more than once. We are to know the God who is the Prince of Peace. Why are we to know the God who is the Prince of Peace? So we can walk in the peace of God. It is not good news to know he's the Prince of Peace and I suffer from anxiety attacks. It is not good news to know he's the Prince of Peace and I cannot control when I'm stressed out. Amen. Why? Because if, if that, that's not good news, he's the Prince of Peace, but I ain't got none of it. I ain't got none of it. So, so what, what, what do I need to do? Do I need to fight for peace or do I need to seek to know? I need to seek to know the Prince of Peace so I can begin to walk in peace. And this is life eternal. And this is eternal life to know thee. To the degree I know the Prince of Peace, I begin to walk in the peace of God. Amen. Glory. Ain't that good news? I don't have to figure out how to keep my mind under control. I don't have to figure out how not to blow my top. I ain't got to figure out how not to stress out and stay up all night. All I got to know is, all I got to do is get to know him. All I got to do is seek his faith all I got to do is learn how to bless the Lord at all times and let his praise continually be in my mouth and as I know him I'll know me and I walk in the cool of the day I wish I had a witness up in here see Adam was bad because Adam was cool and in every day there's a part of the day that's cool you got to learn how to walk in the cool of the, even in hot days there's a part that's cool Adam was cool. Beloved, I want to tell you something. This is a time to seek your God like never before. Why? So we can know him and therefore know us. We can know him and therefore know us. Seek to know him who is your redeemer. Why do I want to know he's my redeemer? Because to the degree I know he's my redeemer, he begins to redeem other people through me. I become a reflection of what I know. 
Seek to know the Jesus that says, when you pray, pray like this. Why? Because the degree I know the God who says, when you pray, pray like this. When I pray, my God, power is going to fall. It's not knowing how to pray. It's knowing the one who teaches how to pray. I don't learn a formula. I get to know a man. And as I know that man, I begin to release that power. Seek to know him who's free indeed. Amen. And to the degree I know him who's free indeed, I begin to wear freedom like clothing. Freedom comes in different styles, just like clothes do. Amen. And this is eternal life, that they might, that you might, they might know thee, the only true and living God. Everybody say, know him. We're not called to learn about Jesus. We're called to know Jesus. Did y'all hear what I, he didn't say learn him. This is eternal life to know him. We, we're not called to learn about Jesus, Mario. We're called to know Jesus. Do you know what that word know means? K-N-O-W. Look it up. It is the Greek word gnosko. It's a favorite word of mine because I've been teaching it probably for the last 12 to 14 years. Gnosko is the Jewish idiom for intimacy. It is the Jewish, in, it is the Jewish enemy, and this is eternal life to know me. And he now is pointing back to a Jewish idiom that speaks of intimacy between a man and a woman or when a man and woman are one. See, the reason why Jesus uses the picture of intimacy is because during the very act of intimacy, a man and a woman are no longer two. They actually become one. So when he's saying, know me, what he's actually saying is um, those who are one with me. I'm going to prove it because if you keep on reading John 17, he talks about being one with him as him and the father are one. And so when he says to know me means to be one with me. See, because if I'm one, and I've already preached some of this. If I'm one with the one who already defeated the devil, then the devil can't defeat me. Why can't he defeat me? Because I'm one with the one who already defeated him. I do not have to beat the devil. I'm one with the one that already whooped the devil. But why in the work? See, did y'all just catch what I just said? If we're one with the one who cannot be tempted by evil, then we'll never be overcome with the temptation to enter into evil. It's not that temptation won't come, but I know him. I'm one with him who now cannot be tempted with evil. Therefore, temptation can't overwhelm me and bring me in to compromise. When Jesus is speaking of knowing him, he's speaking of being one with him. Come on. He said, if you know me, he's saying, speaking of being one with me, come on, all you got to do is skip back two chapters. And he said, I am the vine and you are the branch. If, if you abide in me and I abide in you, what does that sound like? That sounds like intimacy, being one. That sounds like a man and a woman that, that being one. So scripture validates that Jesus equates knowing him to being one with him because if you you actually continue to follow the dialogue of John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It goes on to say in John 17, verse 20. I'm going to just read these scriptures. It says this in John 17, verse number 20. Neither pray I for those alone, but them also which shall believe on me through their word. Verse 21, that they all may be what? 
that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me. Come on, we're talking about being inside. And I in thee, that they also may be one, what? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That's a big one. Oneness with him is the only way the world will believe that God sent him. Amen. And Marcus, Minister Marcus hit on that a couple of weeks ago. Verse 22, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me that they may be made perfect. Come on, let us go on to perfection. It's talking about maturity. That they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that, that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. See, well, I, I got to make this point again. How much we know us is a direct reflection of how much we know God, for we were ultimately created in his image and likeness. How much we know us is how much we know God. We were created to image him forth into the world. We are to bear his image into the world. His, he puts his image on us, and we go out into the world, and we bear an image forth his image in the world. So what I'm saying is this. How we see ourselves is very important because that dictates how the world will see God. Did y'all catch what I just said? How we see ourselves dictates how the world will see God. Why? Because if I and thee and thee, if they be one, that the world may believe that thou hast what? Sent me. How we see us is how, how we see us is how the world will see him. See, how we see ourselves is based on how we know God. Amen? And how we know God is how the world will see God. The world can't see him beyond how we see us because of how we know him. Everybody following what I'm saying? So if we get us wrong, come on, if, if me and you get us wrong, the world will get him wrong. And it'll be our fault. Why? It's on, look, you said it, it's on us. If we don't get us right, if we get us wrong, the world will get him wrong. And that's what Jesus said the problem would be in the last days. They'll be saying, lo, here he is, and lo, there he is. And they said, don't believe him. Why? Because they don't know who they are, and they're trying to tell people who I am. And the only way I prove who I am is how much they're like me. Come on, I need somebody to say I was made to be living proof. Come on, you weren't, you weren't created to tell folks God is good. You was created to be living proof God is good. You weren't created to tell folks God can free you. You were created to be living proof of freedom. You weren't created to tell people you are supposed to be the head and not the tail. You were created to be living proof of being the head and the, not the tail. I don't need your words. I need your walk. Come on, I don't need your lips, I need your life. And this is eternal life. I need somebody who can live this thing. That they might what? Know thee, the true and living God in Jesus Christ. Come on, that's a high responsibility. That's a high accountability. I sense God bringing us into a sobering season because we got to realize what our assignment really is. Amen. It's not good enough to tell folks God is good. It's not good enough. You know why people rely on telling people how bad hell is? Because they don't know how to prove how good heaven is. 
I think it would be better to prove what, how good heaven is. Come on, because it is the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. I think it would be better to prove the goodness of God. Hallelujah. Watch this. So if we get us wrong, the world will do what? Get him wrong. I believe the world is getting him wrong now. And I don't believe it's all the world's fault. I believe we've been getting them wrong. Amen. And the world is basing how they see Jesus based off of how we are imaging Jesus forth. Based on how we say we are, they equate it to how God is. So now God, in some people's eyes, can even be a homosexual. And our problem is we've completely disconnected it and taken no responsibility for that. When in fact, we know that there is known acts of homosexuality in the singing, in the preaching, and in the leading. How we see us is how the world will, and don't get me wrong, I'm not homosexual bashing. Because then you have now individuals. Why do you think folks don't see a problem with living together and they're not married? Where did they get it from? Where did they start getting the idea that God actually accepts that? Perhaps God is like that. Where did that come from? It came from how we viewed ourselves. Look, God know we all got needs. Hello? That's how we saw us. So now nobody has a problem with that. And we completely have detached ourselves from any responsibility to how the world sees God. Amen? I want to talk about this. Because how we see us is how the world will see him. We all, man, look here, we all going to slip up sometimes what God is too. Whatever we say about us is what we're saying about God. We were made in God's image and likeness. How we see us is how the world will see him. So if God slips up sometimes, why not? Look, I'm going to too. Amen. No, I would never say God does that. Well, you said you do. And you said you're in his, and you're in his image and his likeness. Perhaps what we have done is not understood faith. Perhaps we have not understood as God is transforming us into his image, he counts us as one who's already arrived in his image. And so we've said we're stuff that we're not. We are actually who we're being transformed into before we fully get there. We have to understand faith. Amen? Let me go just a step further. What is the first commandment? Anybody know? Come on, this is from Children's Church, right? Exodus 20, verse number 3. Thou shalt what? Have no other God before me. Thou shalt make no graven image 
or likeness of anything in the air, of anything in the field, and of anything below the earth in the water. That is the first commandment. That's verse number three. He says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness. Why was Yahweh telling them not to make any graven image or likeness? Why was that his first priority? Is what I know that's the first commandment, but why? Why was out of all the things God wanted to make sure he restrained his people from doing, the first priority was restraining them from now operating in idolatry? Come on, worshiping other gods. Why was that first priority? Thou shalt not make uh, any graven image or any likeness of the things in heaven above or the earth beneath or the water under the earth. Yahweh's first and foremost priority was that against idolatry. Listen to this, because idolatry alters identity. I, I need that to sink in. I, he said, look, whatever you do, don't worship my other God. I'm, I'm telling you that first. Why? Because idolatry alters identity. We were created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, we are not to worship any graven image or likeness because we are the only reality that can actually be like God in the earth. So you know what God says? Who is like me in all of the earth? And then we step up and say, nobody, God, and don't understand we're indicting ourselves. We're supposed to be the only thing like me in the earth. Nobody's like God. Don't you tell me nobody's like you're indicting yourself. That's your purpose. To be the only thing that can now walk in God's image in the earth. In the created order. So when we commit idolatry, when we worship another God, it idolatry alters identity, right? So to the degree we are committing idolatry, what we do is we misidentify ourselves. Anytime we identify ourselves and that identity opposes God's character and we embrace it knowing it's not like God, it's always evidence that there's an idol at home. God, you was all up in my message. It's always evidence that we have idols hidden somewhere because I said I'm something that God said he isn't and I'm sticking to it. Somewhere along the line, I'm worshiping something I see in the earth that's not like God. You know what idols are and why we can't recognize them? Ultimately, idols are ideas about ourselves and God that are not true. I, idols are ideas about who we are that's not true. Amen. There are ideas about us which ultimately point back to God because God is the one who designed us that are not true. The worship of false gods causes us to embrace a false identity. Say, whatever you do, don't start worshiping idols. Because if to the degree you start worshiping idols, you're going to start saying your stuff that I'm not. You're going to start saying you have stuff that I don't have. You're going to start saying you can't get past stuff that I have now with my anointing have destroyed. You're going to start calling yourself stuff that I never called you. 
And you're going to say, I'm the one who made you that way. I just got this struggle. I can't help it. This is how God made me. God said, why are you lying on me? I didn't make you like that. I made you like me, and I ain't like that. Hello? Why did you say, God just made me with this temper? Don't you make Why are you lying on me? Because if you said I made you like that, you're saying I'm like that. And I ain't like that. You know, I'm just wired to worry. You know, I just can't help it. This is just the way I am. God accepts me as I am. We're lying on God. That's a false God. How do I know it's a false God? Because that's a false identity. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall God. To the degree I'm not walking in peace, I'm living. I got a false ID. I'm walking around showing somebody somebody that I'm really not. Why am I showing somebody something I'm really not? Because I really don't know God. Therefore, I don't know me. And so I volunteer myself into bondage. Anybody ever voluntarily went to prison? Come on, that's what religion teaches us to do. You will always have a struggle. Come on. And don't you sit up there and stand up and act holier than thou. You better dance because you know it's you too. And what we do, we dance. Come on, put the cuffs on me. Throw me in a prison. Come on, you ain't got to catch me. I'll volunteer to be locked up. Because I'm worshiping a God that is not God. That's why he comes against idolatry. And so what people do is they see us saying we are in bondage and he freed us. We're saved, but we're still bound. We're saved, but we still have, we're still going to struggle. We're saved, but we're still going to fall. We're saved, but we're still going to go back. You're going to be chained up even after Jesus' blood washes your life. And so people look at us and say, okay, God is like that. So now when I come in, I'm coming in knowing that I'm still going to be be who I am, I'm still going to have this struggle. Still going to have this challenge. How does that reflect Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? What is that saying about his blood? Man, that's lying on the power of the blood. His blood did more than that. Amen? Ultimately, Idols are ideas about ourselves and God that are not true. We cannot have the right God while walking in the wrong identity. I can't have him right and have me wrong. Because to the degree I know him, he tells me, you're Christ, okay, you're Peter. You're Christ, okay, you're free. You're Christ, okay, you'll never be bound. You're Christ, okay, therefore there's no temptation overtaking you, but that which is coming unto man. You're Christ, okay, now you have a peace from God that surpasses all. You're Christ, and I shall endue you with power from on high, and you shall be a... You can't have him right and then have you wrong, because every time we get him right, he tells us who we are. I cannot know I cannot say I'm that and say I know him. Amen. If we're I'm gonna say this much and I'm gonna go on. Who he is is who we're being conformed into. We gotta know that. Amen. We gotta know that. See, can I say this? And I know it's I guess it's kind of old school. And I didn't know which way direction was going to go, but I felt it in the room. It was kind of sobering. An individual who is in sin, right? 
An individual is in sin to the degree they don't know who God is. We cannot be in sin and know him. Not voluntarily. Amen. I cannot be in sin and know who he is. And a lot of people say, well, look here. I know I know God. Boom, 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 boom. But, but, but let me show you this. First John chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. I think we need to preach out of First John a little bit more. Preachers stay away from that. And I think it's costing people more than it's helping people. First John chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. This is the New King James Version. And you know that he was manifested to do what? And in him there is. Whoever abides in him does. Whoever sins has. Know what? You, you can't know him. You can't know him and be. So there's, it's impossible. You can't have you that wrong and think you got him right. Because he manifested to destroy sin. If you know the one who manifested to destroy sin, you wouldn't be in sin. Amen? Think about how many people in church who are in sin who deem themselves worshipers. I'm a worshiper. In reality, they are. They're not lying. They are. They're just not worshiping the, the real. They're worshiping a false god. You can't be in sin and worship the real God. He was manifest to destroy sin. And in him is no. He that abideth in him, what? Sinneth not. If we don't get us right, there's no way we got him right. How much we know us is a direct reflection of how much we know God. We can't have the right God while walking in a wrong identity. So much of who he is is connected to telling us or restoring to us who we are. Come on, the kingdom is about restoration of who we are. It didn't restore dominion. It restored image and likeness. And we skip beyond the image and likeness and just want the dominion. And it don't work that way. Amen? So an individual is in bondage or dysfunction to the degree they don't know who they are. Amen? You, you can't be in bondage and know who he is. He's the one who destroys every bondage and breaks every yoke. And so what is God trying to do right now in the body of Christ? He's trying to pull us away from idolatry. Because what does idolatry do? Make us feel better but leave us like we were. You know what? When you worship a false god, you can sing that song. I felt bad. But when I sang that song, I felt better. But then we wind up returning right back. God don't work like that. He isn't a cow gone take me away moment. He don't work like that. He does not allow us to keep bondage and teach us how to function with it. He does not allow us to remain in bondage and teach us how to manage it to a degree where we can still live life. He don't work like that. Worship of God changes who we are. It transforms us. It's not just a song. It's not just being in church. It's, it's not just uh, feeling a certain way. I had a good day. Or I had a, no, 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 no. It's the transformation of who we are into who he is. And he's always high. He is the high and lofty one that dwells in the high and lofty place with he of a, of a broken. and He's the high and lofty one. A lot of us get excited. Yeah, he's high, but that means we're in his image. We're created to 
always be high. Even when I'm in a low situation, I'm still high. So God says, look, if I'm going to give you my spirit, I need you to go to an upper room. I'm not going to pour out my spirit in a low place because I'm about to give you who I am. So I need you to learn how to tarry in high places. I need you to learn how to stay up. I need you to learn how to keep joy. I need you to learn how to walk in confidence. And if you can maintain that, I'll give you myself. But you'll never become like God in low places. You can only become like God in upper rooms. And so what God is doing, he's calling his people. In low places, he'll lift you up. In high places, he'll empower you. In low places, he'll encourage you. In high places, he'll empower you. We're so used to being encouraged that we leave off ever being empowered. He only pours out his spirit in upper places. I need somebody to look at your neighbor tell your neighbor, let's go up. And look at him and say, now let's stay up. Come on, in the morning, I'm going to bless him. In the afternoon, I'm going to lift him. In the middle of a hard day, I'm going to glorify him. When things ain't working, I'm going to wave my hand. When things are working, I'm going to dance and sing. It doesn't matter. I'm going to give him the fruit of my lips. I'm staying in an upper room. Glory be to He's a high God. He's a high God. Amen. So, now look at this. I want y'all to see the playoff of these verses. And I'm almost finished. Amen. Isaiah 44 and verse number two. Isaiah 44 is really where I got all this word from. I don't have a time to teach all of Isaiah 44. I would suggest to you go back and study Isaiah chapters 40 through 45. Because the Spirit of God kind of put all that in my stomach and kind of came out with this. But it all comes together. You need to read all five of those chapters. I'm only pulling points out of 44. Amen? God had me studying Isaiah 40 through 45 for like a month. Didn't know exactly why, but then he began to stir stuff in me as I worshipped him. And these are, I'm just sharing with you some of the things he stirred in me. Isaiah chapter 44, verse number 2. says... Thus saith the Lord that what? And did what? Stop right. Stop right there. No, let me say, let, let's go a little bit further. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and did what? From the? Did it say formed thee in the womb or from the womb? Does that mean I formed you in the womb or before you got there? I, before you got there, I formed you. Before you got there, I knew you. I am the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. Formed from the womb means I formed you before you ever got there. I had my hand on you before you ever got in your mother's belly. I had my hand on you before they figured out what your name was going to be. I had already formed you. You already had holiness on you before you before an egg and a sperm came together. You already had holiness on your life. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee. Everybody say form thee. Now watch Isaiah 44, verse 9 and 10. And I'm gonna try to connect these two. Verse number 9, it says, They that make a graven image are all of them vanity. And their delectable things shall not profit. And they are their own witnesses. They see not nor know that they may be what? Verse 10. 
who have formed a God or molten a graven image that is profitable for nothing. In verse 2, Yahweh declares, I formed you. In verse 10, Yahweh declares to his people, you formed a graven image. In other words, I formed you with an identity that reflected my image. Then you turned around and formed a graven image that denied how I formed you. And caused you to reflect an identity that I never gave you. See, this is what we got to understand. We make a graven image when we come up with an idea about our identity that did not come from the God who formed us. I know there's certain things that me and you have embraced about ourselves. My question is, did it come from God? Or did it come from how somebody hurt you? Did it come from how your parents raised you? Did, did, come on, did it come from your past disappointments? Because if it came from mom and dad, if it, if it came from the house you were raised in, if it came from bad things that happened to you, it has no right to tell you who you are. Because God then steps up and says, no, 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 no. I am the Lord God that formed you. And nothing else has a right to tell you you're how you are but me. And I that formed you says you are fearfully and wonderful. I, the one that formed you, says you're more than a conqueror. I, the one that formed you, says you are accepted in the beloved. You do not have a spirit of rejection because I am the Lord God that formed you. Amen? Any idea about our identity that didn't come from God that formed us is idolatry. If I say how I was raised made me like this, then I've made that my God. What I'm saying is that's my God. My past is my God. It dictates who I am. Huh? What? Somebody leaving me dictates who I am? The devil is a liar. Their betrayal ain't my God. Hello? How much it hurt me ain't my God. How scared I am to be burned again ain't my God. It has no right to form me and tell me who I am. I am the Lord God that formed me. There's only one living God. Stop using stuff and making it your God. Amen. All idols. It don't matter what mom and dad did to me. I'm a walk in joy. I need somebody to dance over that right now. It don't matter who left me. I'm still going to trust and love people. I need somebody to shout over that right now. It don't matter if I love people that never love me back. I must keep on loving people. I need somebody to bless God for that. It don't matter if I fail 10 times. He is the God that never fails me. I'm going to step out and try again. He is the Lord God that My failure ain't my God. Come on, my pain ain't my God. My fear ain't my God. I shall live and not die. To declare the very works of my God. 
If you feel that, I dare you to bless God right where you are. I know it ain't that time. I dare you to bless. Bless them like nothing that the devil told me made me like that. Made me. I bless them like you know he's good. Idols. Idols are built by us giving ourselves an alternate identity because we're not actually worshiping the living God. And nobody does that intentionally. But we're raised in religious styles of worship that don't worship the true God. It's just how we were. So we got to learn, even if that was the way I was raised, if that ain't getting to the throne. You know what the throne of grace is? He says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? To now obtain mercy, to, to obtain grace and receive mercy in the time of what? Need. Man, God's presence meets needs. I didn't worship him and leave needing. I came to the wrong well. I got a drink from the well where I never... I got a drink from the well while I never see some of us are thirsty for deliverance. There's a well that you can drink from that you'll never be thirsty to be delivered again. There's a well. Some of you are tired of being overwhelmed. There's a well that you can drink from where you'll never be overwhelmed again. Come and drink from this living water. Come boldly to the throne of grace. And once I meet the need, you'll never need it again. I'm going to give you living water and it shall be in you a well of water springing up. You won't need to drink it. It'll just come up when you need it. Come on. It'll just... Amen. So idolatry is when we make ourselves our own God and tell us ourselves who we are. Who are you? Who is Jeremiah? You know what my answer to you is? I don't know. But Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. So what I need you to do is forget about you, how you was raised. Come on, forget about the streets you ran. See, a lot of people don't, mm, no, I ain't gonna go there. Forget about the things that you did. And I need you to seek me, because who you are isn't necessarily attached to anything you came out of. I just had to put distance in between you and that so I could finally tell you who you really were. So many times we equate who we are to what we came out of. But what we came out of, many times, the only reason why we came out of it, because none of us who knew who we really were ever had anything to do with it. And so God brings us out and puts distance to say that was never you. That was never you. That wasn't... We have no right to tell ourselves who we are. That's not, he is the Lord God that formed us. He made me. There's only one one that can tell me who I am. And I thought I, I, thought I liked to frown. And I thought I didn't like to talk to nobody. And I, you know what I'm saying? I came up here frowning at folks. You frowning? Look here, you say hello, I'm looking at you. Man, who you think you? But Lord, a mess around and got a hold of me. 
I'm over here smiling at everybody. Hey, baby. How you doing? The baby's getting so big. Amen. But God had to pull me from that and show me who I was. Amen. Watch this. You, do y'all recall the situation after Israel comes out of Egypt and they're on their way to the promise? Moses goes up in the mountain to have an encounter with God. He's going to come face to face with God for 40 days because in those 40 days, God is going to give Moses the law that would allow Israel to have a measure of relationship with him. To the measure that Israel follows these laws, they can interact with the true and living God. So he's up on the mountain and God is showing him those laws. And while he's up on the mountain encountering God in this great cloud of fire and glory, the people are on the bottom of the mountain. They're saying, look, Moses is taking too long. What, what happened to him? Where'd he go? Now they saw he, Moses going to the presence. They know where he is and they're asking, where did he go? They saw him climb the mountain into the presence and said, look, who is going to help us get the promise because I still don't have a value for the, you know where he's at. You know he's in the presence. You know he's in the presence of God, but you would rather chase after the promise. And, and any time we want promise more than we want presence, we'll end up forming idols. You know where he's at. Why didn't you say, can we go? I want to go where he's at. That's a secret place. Amen. So he says, make us gods. They said, look here, Aaron, make us gods so we can keep moving. We're tired of being here and we're tired of waiting on him. So he says, break off your earrings. Then he throws all the earrings and gold into the fire and out comes this molten image. Amen. Moses is still up with the living God and they're down below creating a God. They're getting what they need to talk to the true and living God. And while they're getting what they need to interact with the true and living God, they're down below making up a God. Amen. And it picks up. Watch this. And I'm going to make a point. Amen. Don't. I'll say this much. God will make us wait. Don't while you're waiting, make up a God. Amen. So many times we'll make up a God that wants us to quit, wants us to walk away, turn around, pull back. Don't learn how to wait on the Lord. Exodus 32 and 4. Look at this. It says this. This is now how they say this whole thing goes down. And he received them at their hand. He's talking about Aaron making the God and fashioned it with a graving tool. After he had made it into a molten calf. And they said, now this is the crazy part. These be the gods of Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of what? Israel made an image of a calf and blamed it on God. They made up a God and said it was the true and living God. See, when we're in idolatry, we'll give ourselves an identity that God didn't give us and then blame it on God. They said this was God. They blame the calf on God. We'll have an attitude issue and blame it on God. This is just how the Lord brought me out. 
Amen? Amen. We'll have a, a dysfunction. This is just how God made me. We'll blame that on God. This is the God that brought me out of Egypt. He brought me out like this. He brought me out with this dysfunction. He brought me out with this issue. He brought me out always having this. I'm blaming this on God, but you made that God. That wasn't the God that brought you out. But many times we don't want to wait on him. If they wait on him, guess what he's going to do? He's going to bring them into a measure of relationship where those issues won't be issues. But many times, instead of waiting on God and, and waiting on encounter and seeking his face and entering into his gates and his presence, what we'll do is make up a God that says he made me like this, even though it ain't the freedom that he's promised, and try to move on with life. God is calling us back to consecration. My God, he's calling us back to cutting off the TV. You know you still got those issues. Why are you still watching that much television? You know that struggle's still there. Why are you on social media so much? Why are you going on with your life and you are yet to experience knowing him in a measure where you experience that eternal life? It's time to shut some stuff down. It's time to unplug some stuff and turn some stuff off. It's time to now pull back from talking to some folk too much because I need an encounter counter with the God that gives me life hello somebody we can't just go on and manage what God never said we were we can't just keep living and cover up the dysfunction with doing stuff we like to do that eases and diverts our attention from the stuff that has never been removed going to the movies don't remove it it just now distracts me from it for a while Going out to eat, don't remove it. It just distracts me for a while. Getting on social media, don't remove it. You ever known that? After you got on social media, it was still there? I wish I had a witness up in here. After people liked the picture, it was still there. After people uh, reached out, it was still there. Why? It'll never ease it. We need to know the God who gives life. Isaiah 44 and 10 talks about a molten image. Israel, when coming out of Egypt, created a molten image. All throughout the Old Testament, Israel always had an issue with molten images. For some strange reason, Israel was vulnerable to the worship of molten images. Everybody say molten images. I believe that that still holds true today, that the church is still vulnerable to molten images. You know what a molten image is? It's an image that went through fire. It's been molten. It's an image that I believe that we're still vulnerable to worshiping molten images. For some reason, we have deified going through. I wish I could talk. That... Going through the fire and the more challenges that we go through as an individual, for some reason we have equated that to the more we know God. 
You just don't understand all the hell. I know I know God because all the hell I've been through. I know I know God because I almost threw in the towel. I know I know God because I almost lost my mind. That is not knowing God. That's a molten image. Knowing God is life and peace of mind. Knowing God is the mind of Christ. Knowing God is knowing you shall live and not die. Knowing God is walking in the confidence that he's going to keep you. Going through hell isn't knowing God, but for some reason we worship molten images and all the hell we've been through for some reason has been glamorized. That makes you glamorous. Some type of superstar because you've gone through and it's not the image of God. It is a molten image because God's intention isn't to bring us through the fire. That's not his purpose. His purpose is to set us on fire. That's where we're missing God. God's not trying to bring us through no fire. God is saying uh, through the through the mouth of John, I'll baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me whose shoe latches I'm not worthy to untie. He shall baptize you with the spirit and fire. God don't want to bring us through the fire. He wants to baptize us in fire. So when we go through the fire, all it does is add. All the hell you've been through. Well, why did it burn you? Because you weren't burning. Come on. God's, God's intention ain't to take us through hell. Are you in a fire right now? Good. Look, I'm in a fire. I'm in some fires right now. Amen. Good. But you probably can't tell I'm in some fires. But all this doing is adding. <laughs> all this doing is making me bigger. No weapon formed against me is able to prosper. You know why? Because the devil's greatest weapon is fire, and I've already been baptized in it. Come on. The, great, the devil's greatest weapon is fire, and I've already... You can take me through all the fires you want. All you're going to do is start a wildfire. You're going to start a fire that gets out of control and starts consuming the blessings and promises of God on every side because God is not trying to bring us through a fire. He wants to baptize. No more molten images. No more glamorizing going through. There's no glamour in going through. We all got to face hell, but facing hell is required. Going through hell is optional. How much you go through and what you face is an option. It just hinges on your condition of where you're at and how you view you and how much it isn't how God's, who God says you are. Did y'all hear what I said? The Bible says, count it all joy when I fall into diverse temptations. You know why? Because it's working something in you that couldn't be worked any other way. It's increasing you in a way nothing else could increase you. So, man, when even when you say ouch, you say hallelujah. Come on. Even when the devil hits, hits you, you say thank you, Jesus. You know what the devil does? He'll stop hitting you because all he's doing is helping you. Come on. Every time you hit me, you help me. Though the enemy shall come against me one way, y'all missing it, he shall flee from me seven ways. Did y'all hear what that? Did y'all hear what? In other words, before the devil attacked me, I only had one way. 
But after he attacked me, I got seven ways to be blessed. Though the enemy come against me one way, he shall flee from me seven ways. What the, if the princes of this world would have known, they never would have crucified. Do you understand that every time the devil attacks, he actually assists us in bringing us into what God called us to eat? When we understand the God that we serve, we cannot lose. I need somebody to say, I can't lose. My God, look, some of you don't understand it because the the score is 50 to 2 right now and the devil's up and and, and time is running out, but you don't get it. You can't lose. You don't don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. God has already won. He's going to work a miracle. He's going to move in a moment. He's about to do something improbable because he is a God for which all things are possible. I want to pray. Come on, Namans. 